We'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 through 39 this morning. What shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh in carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Thank you, Greg. Well, good morning. I have been to Israel uh, many times and into Jerusalem. And one of the places that you'll, you'll always go visit in Jerusalem is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And that is a place that, uh, through oral tradition, has been uh, noted as the place of Golgotha, where Christ was crucified, and also the same location where Christ was buried. His tomb is there. And so because of oral tradition on this spot, a church uh, was built by Constantine over that spot, and it's, it's an active uh, church to this day. However, when you, when you walk into the church, uh, you'll walk into the door, and as soon as you come in, it's absolute chaos. There are people everywhere from all kinds of uh, nationalities that are there. Within the church it sh- itself, there are different... Uh, groups that have ownership and actually get to do worship there. Uh, you, have, you have those from the Latin Roman Catholic Church, and you have the Armenian Orthodox Church, and the Greek Orthodox, and the Egyptian Coptic, and the Syrian Orthodox, and it goes on and on. And all of them are worshiping in the middle of, of this building where there's thousands of people from all around the world, and so it's just loud and chaotic, and nobody knows what's happening. And what you find when you go into that, and you find yourself doing the same thing, someone will be over here burning incense. And you're like, what are they doing? Why are they burning incense here? What, 
What, what group is this? They have this certain robe on. What are they saying right now as they're doing this worship? And so everybody in different languages is asking basically the same questions. What's happening? What's being said? What's going on? And it's just crazy as you go in there. This beautiful place, this church that is meant to be glorifying God uh, is a crazy house as you enter in. And that's a little bit of what was going on in the Corinthian church. We spoke last week about the gift of tongues and how that was playing out. Everybody was speaking out in tongues and nobody understood what was going on and what was taking place, what's actually being said. And the volume was loud and, and church became somewhat chaotic. And this morning, as we look into the church, Paul is trying to enter in and to speak about a God who is a God of peace and not of chaos. This passage, as we dive in together, I recognize very clearly that it is a hot-button passage, especially, especially in today's American culture, where women are highly valued, where women have incredible influence, where women have a voice that is strong, they have authority, where their talents are recognized. And so as we read the verse, uh, even this morning I heard the boos and the hisses going on, and I noticed a few tomatoes over here that people brought. It's a hot-button topic. And we're going to dive right into the middle of it. Please don't hate me afterwards. <laughs> but I, I pray this morning that, that we would have real understanding uh, of what Paul is trying to get at uh, in this passage. So let's just pray for that. Father, uh, this is a challenging passage for us to enter into, especially in our culture today. And so I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds uh, to what your scripture has for us. Like Greg prayed, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for training in righteousness. And so we want to hear from you, and we want to understand, uh, especially this passage. And so would you do your work in us? Would you give us uh, understanding? Would you give us peace? Um, would you let us put aside maybe some of our old uh, understandings of this passage and, and uh, be refreshed by you this morning through your word? In your precious name, amen. Well, let me just start out by saying that I really believe this section of Scripture and this topic, it's not a gender issue topic that's going on in the church. It's not about what's happening with the women. In the context, the context shows us, I think, very clearly uh, this. And I want you to write this down if you're a note taker. The context is how to have order as we come together to worship our Lord. How to have order as we come together, all of us, to worship our Lord. That he would be glorified in the church and that he be glorified in this community that we live in. 
there was problems that were going on, obviously, in, in order. There was not peace in the church. It was like that church in Israel. And Paul has been addressing that. He, he addressed it in chapter 11, if you remember, about what was going on with communion. What was happening with communion is people are coming in to church for communion and they're coming in famished, knowing that they're going to get some food. And so they're just chowing down on the wafers, you know? And it took a lot of wafers. And then it's like, bring me some wine. And then they're getting drunk on the wine. It was chaotic. It did not reflect God and all that he had done. Here God brings this sacrament so that we may understand and remember the price he paid on the cross for us. That we can have life in him, the forgiver of our sins as we turn our life over to him and remember that he brings us life and salvation as we surrender unto him, the resurrected Jesus Christ, to remember all that he did for us so that we might have life and it was being turned into a circus. So there was problems in the church as far as order and peace. God is not a God of chaos, but a God of peace. This morning he's going to be talking about order and the preaching and the praying that was going on. And as he dives into verse 26, right away, what we see is we're drawn back into the, the reminder of the reason for the spiritual gifts. We can't miss the big picture of spiritual gifts overall, which is for the building of the body of Christ, to, to build up, to edify the body of Christ. When things are chaotic all around you, it becomes very difficult that the body of Christ is being built, edified, growing, hearing from God, because there's noise everywhere. There's chaos. And so he brings us right back to that spot. Let all things be done for the building up of the body of Christ. The other thing that you'll notice in the beginning verse, verse 26, is that everybody is involved. Everybody's a participant. They're bringing in hymns, and they're, they're bringing in songs and prophecy, and they're speaking in tongues. All these things are good and part of the worship of the Lord. But everybody is involved. There was new hymns that were sung. You know, one of the things that you start to recognize, you know, they didn't have the internet or a big volume of hymns that they were pulling out of, like, let's sing this in church this morning. You see, God was doing a work in their life through Jesus Christ, and as their lives are being transformed, they're writing a new song. And so should we. And I love that our sister Adrienne writes new songs for us. And if God has put a song in your heart, write it down. Let's get some music to that and let's celebrate together. They sang a new song unto the Lord. They were a community together. You see, church isn't about just coming on Sunday. I love that you come on Sunday. But there's so much more. And I hope you don't only just come on Sunday, quite honestly. There's a time to come to church and, and you just need to be taught and, and maybe you just need to rest. I understand that. 
But your life in this body is so much more than Sunday. And I want you to ask yourself the question, what does it look like for me to be a participant in this body of Christ? Am I? Am I pouring out and allowing my life to to be part of this body of Christ, that we are sharing life together? You see, we're meant to live in community. That's the way the Lord set it up. We're not to be an island. We're meant to be in community. And so we have all kinds of things in this church where you can pour your life into. There's a reason we have growth groups. Because you go from this place where you've learned and then you gather together in the home churches, growth groups, and share your life more there. I just want to encourage you to be part of that. Think about ways that you can use your gifts and be part of the body so that you can have life together. We want to have life with you. And that was taking place in the church, in the early church in Corinth. All were participating, yet some got a little carried away in the main gathering. And so there was a call for order in the church. And so he begins in verse 27 with tongues again. If anyone is speaking in a tongue, let there be two or three, and each do it in turn, and let there be one that interprets the tongue. If there is no one to interpret, you can't miss this, all right? Again, note takers, write this down or get it mentally. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silence in the church and speak to himself and to God. Men and women had the gift of tongues. Men and women had the gift of tongues to come together and to have peace in the family of God and to have our our worship centered on Christ, there needs to be order. So if you're to speak in a tongue, a language that is to be a known language that is interpreted, it's unknown to the hearer or the speaker, if you're to have that happen, one or two, and it's very simple, one or two so that there's order, Then there's an interpreter. But if there is no interpreter, silence. Speaking to men and women. Then he goes into prophecy. What does it look like when there is prophecy taking place in the church? Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in what is said. If a revelation is made to another who's sitting a worshiper who's sitting and they're hearing this prophecy, and all of a sudden they're stirred up, look what the scriptures say. Let the first be silent. For you all can prophesy one by one, that's orderly, so that all may learn and be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And so he's speaking once again to men and women because there was men and women who would prophesy. Do it in such a way that is orderly so that the body can be encouraged. Remember, big picture, that you're built up in the body of Christ. But as one or two have shared and there's someone else being stirred up to share, 
be silent so that the God of peace can reign in the church. So that we can hear from the Lord what He has to say to us. Remember, prophecy is, is that beautiful gift that is given to speak forth the mind and the counsel and the revelation of God given to men and women to make the Word of God shine, to understand the mind of God, that there would be edification in the body through prophecy, exhortation to strengthen and support and admonish believers, that there would be consolation through prophecy to identify with their suffering, that there would be instruction, teaching, and conviction to the unbelievers especially. So speak forth, use the gift as God leads, but there is order that is supposed to be happening in the church. As someone has said, there are always two kinds of speakers. There are those who have something to say, and there are those who have to say something. Right? Paul is one who is speaking to the latter. For some reason, you feel compelled like you have to say something. And he's saying, be silent. Because God is not a God of chaos, but a God of peace. You see, when there was prophecy being poured out, again, that's just foretelling. That's just the word of God being spoken forth. When someone was doing that, what was supposed to happen is that there would be reflection, a time where they would actually weigh in. The Greek word has the idea of they would give judgment to what was being said. So as, as it was being spoken, you would say, well, let's talk about these things. I, I really hope and pray that as you guys leave church on Sundays, I hope you're gathering with friends or family and you're actually talking about what the heck we're saying that as the Spirit's stirring or questions that are raised, and you're starting to do that with one another, that's what would happen in the church. Several would share, a few, and then they would talk about it and give judgment to it and, and evaluate what was being said and try to understand what was going on. The goal of prophecy is that all would learn together the Word of God. And then the bigger part which is beautiful, is that they would be encouraged. That word, that word has the idea more so of reconciliation. That there would be reconciliation in the church. And I think that really reflects the character of God. That word is actually used, it's the image of the prodigal father when he is celebrating that his lost son, his lost son has returned. And he's in the middle of celebrating, the father is with his lost son, but he realizes his older son, the older brother, is not there. And so scriptures say in Luke 15 that he leaves the banquet and he goes out to reconcile with the older brother who was just as lost as the younger so that he could be in right relationship with the older brother. There needs to be peace in the church so that you can hear the word of God so that you might be reconciled unto him. Those worshipers who come with pain should be comforted in the church. 
those who are estranged, estranged should see the open doors of reconciliation. Those who are in a dark place, depressed, struggling, should be encouraged in the word of God as we come together. And when the gifts are used this way, and when we enter in and we hear from the Lord this way, the body of Christ is built up. Your soul, your spirit is built up in Christ. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What he's saying there is, if you're entering in to worship and you're coming to the church and there's absolute chaos and there's jealousy and there's confusion and there's argument and that kind of thing, it is not a meeting, it is not a gathering that is led by the Spirit of God. That really is the Spirit of the enemy who's the king of confusion and chaos. God doesn't work that way. When that kind of meeting is going on, there's another spirit at work. And after you come together, if it does not line up with the prophets, really, if it does not line up with the truth of God and what He has to say in His Scriptures, it's not of the Lord. You can't just get out there and express what you're feeling. I feel like God is saying this to me totally opposite of what the scriptures say, but let's just run with it. It has to line up with truth. It's in subjection to what the prophets and truth have to say. Many in the congregation were struggling of receiving the peace of God. The instruction that Paul is giving is to bring order because God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And so now we enter into what you've all been waiting for. Women. As in all of the churches of the saints, the women should keep silence in the churches. As in all the churches of the saints, the appropriate break or connection is with women should keep silence in the churches. Let's back up. When you're speaking in tongues and things get out of control, men and women keep silent. When you're prophesying and things get to be too much, keep silent, men and women. And women, in your freedom, in being part of church, and when you desire to enter into that, If necessary, learn to be silent so that there's peace in the church. Do you see the flow? It's not a gender issue passage. It's a passage about order. And it's a passage about allowing us to hear from God so that there's peace in the family of God. And much of hearing from the Lord comes through silence. Part of this passage may just be about dealing with how women are created. I can almost imagine Paul, when he's on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and 
God just comes upon his life, turns him upside down through Jesus Christ who shows up in front of him and says, Paul, why are you kicking against me? And Paul's life is surrendered over to Jesus Christ as he realizes he's in the presence of the Lord. You can imagine when he's blinded, the conversation between Paul and Jesus. And I think maybe part of the conversation might be this. Hey, Paul, I know you hate women. I know you think they're lower than a dog. But I'm going to change your heart about women. And Paul, the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to bring a bunch of women into your life who are going to partner with you, who are going to minister with you, And I am going to bring women into your life. And guess what, Paul? They're going to have a lot to say. So be ready. Because they're going to speak into your life. Part of it is there's just a difference between men and women and their communication styles. And who they are and how they're wired and how they're made. There's actually a very recent study, this year's study, at the University of Maryland, School of Medicine, And what they said is there is a certain protein that is found in the brain called FOXP2. I think that's appropriate for the ladies. They're foxy ladies. FOXP2. That was a little Wayne's World reference there. That protein, they say, is in abundance. It's the talkative protein. They say there's an abundance in women's brains. Very little in men's brains. Recent study. There's a book by a female psychiatrist. It's called In the Female Mind. Her name is Dr. Luann Brizendine. And she says women devote more of their brain cells to talking than men do. In fact, women talk almost three times as much as men, with the average woman chalking up about 20,000 words a day. The guys do about 7,000 words a day. Women also speak more quickly, she says. They devote more brain power to chit-chat. And here's something she says that I just found kind of funny. She says, actually, women get a buzz. They get a high out of hearing their own voices. I didn't say it. She did. Women are wired differently. They actually found a a video of a baby Corinthian girl, uh, and I just wanted to share it with you because it's historical uh, stuff going on. <laughs> 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 
from the beginning of their lives. (laughs) Women need to express themselves. But here's the deal. Here's the kicker. That is a good thing. God made you just the way you are. And he made you with a voice. A valuable voice. He made you with a voice that I believe is meant to be used to build up the body of Christ. And more importantly, he's made you with a voice to glorify him. You are a beautiful creation in the Lord. We tease about our differences, but you are a beautiful creation in the Lord, meant to be valued and honored, and that your voice would be heard. You see, Paul gets this rap. He's like, he's like in the TV show Mad Men, which was a 60s show about advertising men where they sit around all day and smoke cigarettes and come up with ads and they, they treat women like objects and servants. And a lot of culture today thinks Paul is the same way. But it's so opposite of who Paul is and what the scriptures say about women in ministry and in life. Let's just look at the New Testament for a minute. Aquila and Priscilla, who were in Corinth, Paul stayed with them. And they ministered to him together. And they trained up Apollos. Apollos was one of the most influential teachers in the region. And Aquila and Priscilla trained him up in the Lord. We see in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and he reminds us from Joel that your sons and your daughters will prophesy, both will prophesy. We had Joanna, who was one who walked with Jesus, part of that band of disciples. Joanna knew the Lord and ministered with him and supported him and his ministry. She contributed financially to to support the ministry. She was very influential in her gifts with the body The angel of the Lord appeared at the resurrection, at the tomb, to the women. Not to the guys. You, dear women, will be the ones to proclaim the resurrection to the rest of the world. And so they go from that place. Because he was no longer there, he was risen. And they proclaim to the other brothers, this is what has taken place. And because of that good news, we have come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Phoebe was a deaconess in Centria, which was in Corinth. And she was a great minister of the people. Lydia was this band of women who were down by the river in Philippi. Paul comes into town. He gets sent down to the river to these praying women, they were called. These women who who frequently prayed by the river. They were devout unto God but didn't know Jesus yet. And so Paul ministers to them, and Lydia and her family come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and I guarantee you that that church in Philippi had the foundation of leadership of Lydia 
as she ministered in that church. And they started to worship God together. Mary, the mother of Jesus, in her song prophesies of who the Lord will be. She's mentioned in Acts as a pious woman. She's, she's mentioned praying with the apostles. Sometimes as you read the scriptures about women, as a man you start to feel a little bit shortchanged. It's all about Mary. Mary this, Mary that. What about Joseph? Wasn't he part of the deal? Didn't he walk through that whole journey with that? He ends up disappearing out of scriptures. I don't go around all my Catholic churches around town and there's a statue of Joseph. It's all Mary. But still, as a culture, we say Paul and God hates women, does not value them, thinks they're of little means. They shouldn't have influence. But it's the furthest thing from the truth of what Scripture says. And I want you to know, dear saints, at Cole Community Church, it's the furthest thinking and furthest from the truth about us, Cole Community Church, the leadership here, and our view of women, of you dear women in this body. There's a reason we have five female pastors. Because we know their gifts. We value them. We have been blessed by them. We would be absolutely in desperate need without them. And they truly minister to us. We believe that the gifts are poured out upon men and women to be used. And dear women, if you for any reason feel like I can't use my gifts here, that's just false thinking. I don't know where you would have gotten that from, but that is not true of us. We want you to serve, use your gifts, build up the body of Christ, just like us men. And so please, ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to use my gifts to build up the body of Christ? So did all of a sudden Paul forget what it was all about? Did he forget the history of women? Did he forget his partners in ministry? Did he develop this, this attitude that was hateful towards women? Did he have a bad experience with one? Furthest thing from the truth. So why is Paul telling women to be silent in the church? Obviously, obviously, they were contributing, not the only ones, not the only ones, both men and women, but they were contributing to the noise, to the confusion during a time of worship. And it was, like tongues and like prophecy, the chatting that was going on, it was taking away from the body of Christ being centered on Christ. And so he addresses all three, those speaking in tongues, those prophesying, dear women, let's learn to keep silent so that we can serve and worship a God of peace and hear from him. I really appreciate Kenneth Bailey. Kenneth Bailey is, is a historian and, and 
really understands culture in the Middle East very well. And Kenneth Bailey is one who speaks to what might have been going on in the culture. You've got to understand that there was in the culture all kinds of manufacturing that was taking place. There's all kinds of work along the docks. People from different uh, nationalities. It was very international in Corinth. Greek was the common language. However, it was not always understood by everybody. The men, the men would, would understand maybe enough to get along at work. The women, they weren't taught anything. Most women were uneducated and didn't receive training in the languages. And so what Kenneth Bailey points out is this. When these workers would go home, they're not speaking in Greek at home. They're speaking in whatever language they're from, wherever they're from. And women finally have, have received the freedom to come into church and to be, be a worshiper. That wasn't always the case. Paul freed that up. Women, come and worship with us. That wasn't allowed before. They're included and they don't understand the language. Plus, whoever's speaking, I'm sure, has a pretty good accent going on. You ever you know, try to listen to someone speaking English with a real strong accent? It's hard to understand. And so what Kenneth Bailey points out is here church service is going on, and the women are in worship together, and here's someone speaking this language that they really don't understand, and I think what was taking place is they're next to one another, and they're going, what did he just say? What does that mean? What's happening? Did you get that? And I think their voice started to raise a little bit as they entered into worship or were trying to. I think they had an eager desire to know scriptures and truth. But it was getting loud and it was getting disruptive. Paul says, hey, I want you to keep silence. And I think the other thing that Paul is getting at, where he is saying that I want you not to speak in church and it's shameful for a woman to do that. There was a, there was a law in Corinth that it was forbidden to argue with a man in public. And I think maybe what was happening in the church is during that time of reflection after prophecy was given, during that time of reflection maybe some of the women were starting not just to ask questions, but were actually challenging what was being said. And I want you to understand, so in the culture where that's not allowed to happen, that could be very disruptive and confusing for those who are coming into the body of Christ to try to worship God. And so it would be a hindrance to the gospel because of the way the women were responding in that time. And so shameful really has the idea, in a shame culture, we, we hear it and we go, oh, awful, but shame culture has degrees of shame. And I think what Paul is saying is, dear women, it's not, it's not ladylike, it's not, it's not the way a woman behaves in our culture to challenge like this in the church because it's confusing for those who are new in the faith, those who are wanting to hear the gospel. And what's also starting to happen is, you know, things are getting to be chaotic. 
in the church. And so learn to be silent. And as you have questions, go to your husband and at home talk about the scriptures. And I just want to encourage that for this body. Go home. Take the scriptures together after this morning. And husbands and wives, talk about the scriptures. Learn from each other. Have value in what's going on. And that's just a principle that you can pull from that. Go and be and enjoy God together in the scriptures as you do that. God is a God of order, a God of peace. And so he speaks to this Corinthian church and to these beautiful women that he loves. And he says, let us come in in order with tongues, Let us be silent when it comes to prophecy that's getting too much. And women, let us us live in such a way where we learn silence when necessary. We learn to understand what's going on in the culture so that we're honorable in that. And let's be silent together so that the God of peace can minister his love for us and that we can receive his word for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you I thank you for the beautiful women in this church. I thank you for their wonderful creation and how they're different than men and we rejoice in our differences. And so, Father, continue to use all of our gifts. And, Father, forgive us if we we are distracting when we come to worship. We're, We're distracting in just our focus on ourselves, trying to draw attention to us where we're distracting and, and just uh, getting, letting our minds even just be drawn into all the distractions. Lord, we want to surrender those distractions to you and we want to come into this place and honor you, glorify you, hear from you, because you're a God of peace. In your precious name, amen.